Uh, you can go ahead and take a seat. Good morning. Now, if kids want to head out to reach kids, they can head out now. And pray with me. Let's pray. Father, we, we long to praise you with, with hands high and, and hearts abandoned to you. And yet, Father, we, uh, we are so often uh, constrained and we don't have the freedom to do that. And Father, we ask that you would release our hearts to worship you freely. And Father, would you release us from, from many things? Would you release us from sin? Would you release us from the law? Would you give us freedom? And Father, we thank you that that's what we're talking about today, that we can be free to pursue you, unhindered. And Father, I ask that you would uh, speak to us through your word, that these words can become mere law, they can be dead things that are written, and they can have no life apart from the Spirit. And so, Father, we ask that you would not let your word go out void, that it would not be in vain that we hear this sermon, but that our, we, our hearts would be changed, that we may love you and that we may worship you and that we may enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ. Father, we thank you and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, guys. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so last week, last week we talked about freedom from sin. That before, under Adam, we were enslaved to sin but that we have died to sin and through Christ we, are now we can now seek life and we are moving towards life. We are moving towards, towards righteousness and freedom. All right. But today we're looking at another aspect of that. We're looking at our freedom from not only sin, but we're freedom from the law. Freedom from the law. Now this is important and we're kind of ingrained in, in slavery to the law. That we've grown up, most of us have grown up in the church. And so we've heard the law day in and day out for years and years and years. That from childhood, you have felt the burden of the law. That thousands upon thousands of laws have been laid on your back. And a lot of us go through the Christian life feeling really guilty about that. That we look at the law and we don't feel like we measure up to it. And there's a certain oppression in that. A lack of freedom, a lack of joy. And kind of the, the ultimate sorrow is that we then can pass that burden onto other people. That when we think we're, we're giving people Christ or we're giving people the Christian faith, we're actually just giving them slavery to the law. And Galatians says, for, it is for freedom we have been set free. That we might have freedom from, not freedom from sin, this is freedom from the law. For freedom we have been set free. And today we're talking about freedom from the law. We're going to talk about three, three parts of this. Talk about the reality that we are free from the law, because some of you don't believe it. We're going to talk about what that actually means to be free from the law. And then I want to talk about what it actually, what the law is supposed to do. Because there is a, there's a, a good element to the law, but we misuse the law. 
and, and actually use it to enslave ourselves. So, freedom from the law. Let's look at Romans 7, verses 1 through 12. Romans 7, 1 through 12. Let's figure out how we can be free with greater joy in Christ. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brother, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we are living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. All right, let's get into this. All right, first of all, we are free from the law. That is a fact in Christ. So Paul just finished talking, talking about how we are free from sin. And why are we free from sin? We're free from sin because we have already died to sin in Christ. The punishment of sin is death. You are enslaved to it. You are enslaved to sin and sin and sin. But through the cross, you died with Jesus. And so you have died for your sins in Christ. So there's no more payment. There's no more slavery to it. In the same way, Paul is speaking about the law. Look at verse 1. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those of you who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? All right. Give me a curious face here. <laughs> uh, all right, so. We were all enslaved to the law. We were born into the law. And that there's only one way to pursue life independent of Christ, and that is by trying to do this law that God has given to humanity. That there's only one way to please God and pursue life, and that is by obeying each and every commandment, about which there's a, about a thousand commandments, and obeying it perfectly in action, in volition, according to your will, in the heart, that we're enslaved to actually 
pursuing this law on our own. But, if you have died with Jesus Christ, you have died to your slavery to the law. You don't have to keep it any longer. You are truly, you, we, have to, we have to grasp that. If you have died with Christ, you don't have to keep the law. It's dead. And you're free from it. Now, I know we don't really believe that. We think, well, no, I have to do the law. Otherwise, I'll, I'll disappoint Christ. I'll, I'll slander God. And he proves it to us, verse 2. Verse 2, this analogy for marriage. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. All right, so you make a marriage commitment. You say your vows. And you are, you are bound to that person. You are bound forever. And the only way to get out of that bond is death. Till death do you part. But until then, you are bound to obey, and you are bound to be committed to, and you are bound to serve. The, these guys over here, they're all excited. They're getting married on Saturday. So uh, <laughs> that is what you're, in part, you're partaking in. Till death do you part. And you're, you're binding yourself to another person. All right. So I've bound myself to Casey. And she, she is obligated to, to serve and to love and to be with me. Now, there's only one way to get out of that. If I die, Casey is free from all of those commitments. And she can do whatever she wants. If she wants to marry someone else, she can. And there's nothing I can do about it. Her, her vows to me have been completed. She can go do whatever she wants. I'm dead, so I'll, I'll be happy. I'm with Jesus. All right, do, do whatever she wants. Um, but, if I'm not dead, then she doesn't get to do that. That's just how that works. I, I'll still be mad at her. Uh, verse 3, accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. All right. If I'm dead, that, whole, that relationship is severed. She does not have to give me another thought. Casey is done with me. And not in a bad way, it's just that's the case. There are no more further obligations, no duty required. She doesn't need to spend any more energy on me. That's how it works. This is our relationship to the law. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So each and every one of us was was born married to the law. And we had to serve our spouse. We had to obey. We had to cherish. We had to love this law. And that's what the Jews did. They, they loved the law. We look at Psalm 119. It's just like gushing about how much they love the law. Because they are, they are bound to keep it. That's the only way that they could pursue life. And that's the only way they could serve God. All right. But if you have faith in Christ, you are dead to the law. Dead. And you don't need to spend any more time or energy wasted on the law. Wasted on feeling guilty for not having obeyed the law. Feeling shameful for not following the law. You don't need to, to pour all of your love into 
into reading the law and caring about the law. No, you're, you're dead to that relationship. You're not married to the law anymore. That you've died to it and you're resurrected with Christ. And, and the good thing is like, the law was, the law was not a great spouse. All right, so the law, the law is like the, the spouse that is perfect. Perfect and never does anything wrong and just makes you feel terrible. Day in and day out. The law is, the law is a nag who's just saying like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm perfect. You should really do this. And, you know, you didn't do that either. Also, you should do this. The law is never content. It's, it's miserable marrying, being married to the spouse. This law is, is brutal and destroys the one that is married to it. So thank God, thank Jesus, that we are free from this burden, that we've gotten out of this marriage to the law. All right, we're dead to the law. We don't have to care about it anymore. Good? Do we believe this? That's like really what it says. Do you live like people who are free from the law? Do you find yourself obsessing about your, your obedience to the commandments? Are you scared of the law? You really don't need to be. All right, second point. Second point. All right, we are free. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Because I know most of you know that you're not really bound to the law, but you, you act like you are. I act like I am. That's the burden. And so we need to see what, what the point of this really is. And I think that the point is that we have died to the law so that we might belong to Jesus Christ. We might belong to Jesus. Look at verse 4. Likewise, my brother, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. All right, so we didn't, just, we didn't die so that we might just sever this bond with the law and then go, go roam off as, as free agents. No, we, the point was that we killed this marriage so we might be married to another. So we might be bound to Jesus Christ, married to Jesus Christ himself. That's the point. And Jesus is a much better spouse. Like, yes, he is perfect. And yes, he is good, but he's also gracious. And he also gives you the things that you need. The law, all it did was tell you how terrible you are and that it didn't help you at all. Jesus, Jesus gives you the grace that you need. He gives us the obedience that we need. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to actually be as perfect as he is. Jesus is the only one that you're you're bound to. And so when we think about the Christian life, we shouldn't be always thinking about the laws and what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. We should be focused on our new spouse. We should be focused on Jesus. Focused on this person that we love and this person that we're engaged with and the person who has given us grace. That's the point of the Christian life. It's not to become a lawyer in love with the law, it's to be a Christian in love with Christ. 
And we can focus all of our energy on Jesus because we don't have to think about the law anymore. All right. How are you doing at that? Where is your heart? Are you still, you still hear your, your old wife calling out your name and you, and you jump to? Are you still scared of her? Is she still ruling you? Or is your heart free to love Jesus unhindered? My, my fear is that many in the church, we still love the law. And we give people the law. And we judge people according to the law. And we don't actually care if people love Jesus or not. And if people are bound to Jesus. And if people are, are pursuing their spouse, Jesus. Instead, we want to tick off boxes and see how they're doing according to the law. There's no room for that. That we have all died to the law together so we might pursue Jesus and be in love with Jesus together, who is gracious and who is merciful. All right. And what happens when we do that? If we just love Jesus and pursue Jesus and devote ourselves to Jesus, what happens? Look at verse 4 again. We belong to him who is raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. In order that we may bear fruit for God. The amazing thing is it actually empowers us to be obedient. Because if you're, if you're looking at Jesus, the promise is that the more you're connected with Jesus, the more Jesus produces fruit in you. He gives us his obedience. He produces obedience in us. We see this in John. He says, abide in me. If you attach yourself to Jesus, attach yourself as a branch to the vine, fruit, is, fruit just starts coming out. You don't have to make the fruit. You don't do anything. It just naturally comes from Jesus Christ. Now, the law cannot say that. The law is just a stamp that's been stuck onto your heart and says and tells you what to do. Make fruit, make fruit, and we can't. If we belong to Jesus, we will be fruitful. Now, an analogy for this. Um, all right, let's say you're, you're, you're supposed to write a love letter to your spouse. All right, and what if, what if I gave you a list of rules that you're supposed to, you're supposed to follow when you write your letter? All right, so, so start with a compliment, then say how beautiful they are, then say a nice thing that you like that they do, then rehearse a memory together. No, there's a dead letter. And it's a boring letter, and no one wants to read it. It's not a real love letter. How you write a love letter is you stare at the person. And you just focus on the person and just let it flow out. That you see all the things that you love about this person and it just, it just flows out onto the page. And it's spontaneous, it's beautiful. That's what it's supposed to look like. That it's not coming from you and you're just like thinking and thinking. It comes from the person that is inherently beautiful and you're just, you're just getting it out. That is the Christian life. It is beholding the beauty of Jesus and it just flows from you 
That's what obedience is. It's a love letter to Jesus. That's why we obey. Because we want to just gush over Jesus Christ. Now that's scary because we have to trust that, that Jesus is actually going to do that. And we feel like, well, no, I need to focus on the law and make sure I'm... No. Trust that if you're just focused on Jesus and loving Jesus, the fruit is going to come. That's the promise and that's our hope. Verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. If you try to do this on your own, all you're going to make is death. All you're going to make is sin. It has to come through Jesus Christ. There's nothing good in you that you can just muster up a bunch of righteousness, that you can create life in yourself. It needs to be in Jesus. That's, that's enough for that. Six. Verse six. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. All right, so we're given two ways to walk now. The written code or the spirit. And he intentionally uses this kind of dead-sounding language, the written code. It sounds as dead as it is. That there's no life in it. It's just slapped onto a disobedient heart. It's, it has no connection to Christ. It's not overflowing with love. It's just a law. And that's contrasted with the Spirit. That there is a personal God inside of you connecting you to Jesus Christ, making you bear fruit. Now, uh, we're going to spend probably a whole month talking about what that means. To be connected to the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit and to live according to the Spirit. That's chapter 8. That'll probably come in January. Um, but for now... For now, I'm going to say that we're focusing on the grace of Jesus, that the Spirit focuses on the promises, that it focuses us on, on what Jesus has done for us, that the Spirit exalts Christ, and as we focus on, on the promises that he has made for us, that we bear fruit. We don't obsess with the law. We obsess with Jesus and let the Spirit work. Um, now, are we still walking in the way of the written code? I'd say that we still are. All right, so how do I see this? How do I see that we are still bound to the written code? A lot of people, when they come to me, they come asking for law. They come asking, they say, well, okay, I heard your sermon, but like, what exactly am I supposed to do? Write me out a step one, two, three, and four. They want law. You want law. I want law. I just want a checklist of things that I'm supposed to do. And the thing is, that's, that's totally contrary to the heart of the gospel. That I actually don't, like, I don't know what the Spirit is calling you to do with this. Maybe it's calling you to go, go cry in your bedroom uh, th this afternoon. Maybe the Spirit is telling you to, to just go be free. Maybe it's telling you to go take a nap. Like, I don't know. I don't know what obedience this looks like. 
It isn't a formula. And my job is to help you discern what the Spirit is doing, to, to not go off the deep end in things that are clearly sin. But like, it's not about just turning Old Testament laws into New Testament laws. Um, yeah, it just doesn't work like that. I wish it did, because it would be a lot easier for me to be a pastor. And I could make up little codes for you guys to do, and little checklists, and flow charts, and when you do this, then do A, B, and C. I don't know. It's not, about, it's not about laws. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you, sometimes I fall into the law because you want to give it, but I should be pointing you back to Jesus and saying, well, are you loving Jesus? Are you excited about what Jesus is doing? Are you excited about the grace he's given you? Now go do whatever you want. That's what it's supposed to look like. All right, how else do I see this kind of messed up? Um, all right, when we see our sin, we have this funny saying that we, we use. We say, oh, I really need to work on that. That's what everyone says when they see their sin. I need to work on that. Do we see the principle at work there? That, okay, so you need, to, you need to go home and sit down with yourself and, and work on your sin, make yourself better. No. Now, I recognize that some, sometimes we mean like, oh, oh, I mean, I need to like think about the promises and go love Jesus better. Like, but I don't think that's what we mean when we say that. We say I need to go formulate a little plan and a, an attack plan for tackling my sin better this time. There's no life in that. That's just saying I need to try harder to do the law. No, we should say, uh, I clearly don't love Jesus that much. I, I need to look at him more. I need to gaze upon his beauty more and then I'll be better. I'll, I'll, it'll come to me. It'll, it'll work itself out. Finally, finally, you see this in, in how we talk to people and how we address people who are struggling, people who don't know Christ, our kids when they're disobedient. We burden them with the law. And we think that we can change people through the law. And we just pile on commandments and say, just, just go do it. I think that's a, a really sad thing of Christian kids. Is that we don't want to be enslaved to the law, but we enslave our kids to the law. And we, we are really diligent to punish them as diligently as we can. We're not, we're not giving them a, a beautiful picture of Jesus we're giving them a, a scary picture of the law. All right, so what do we do? We don't need to sit around feeling bad about this. We need to look at Jesus and get excited about Jesus and fall back in love with Jesus and run to him and see that he is gracious and he's fulfilled the law and we're free from the law and now we get to be in this amazing relationship with this spouse, Jesus Christ. The love of our lives. All right. All right. This last section is kind of brutal. Uh, third point. Third point. What is the law actually for? What is the law actually for? All right. Why would God give us this curse of the law that we need to get free from it? Now, I'm, I'm going to clarify. Some of you are probably thinking, well, the law isn't evil. 
Psalm 119 is there for a reason. Like they are excited about the law. The law is good. And yes, the law is good, but the law has one specific purpose. And that purpose is to not make us good. All right, look at verse 7. The purpose of the law. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. All right, so the law isn't evil. I'll give that to you. It's not evil. The law is good. The law is good, but the law is good for, I'd say, mostly one thing. Mostly one thing to reveal your sin. Now think back two weeks, two weeks ago. Oh, that's a long time, long time. We talked about Adam. That we are in Adam and that we're all going to die because we're in sin. It's not even the sin that you commit. It's just the fact that you inherited his sin. You have sin and you're going to die because of it. That's a fact. And the problem is that we don't actually realize that. And so we're skipping through life, hunky-dory, thinking everything's fine, and we don't realize that we're infected with sin and we're just moving straight towards death. Now, that would be horrible if God did that to us and he just said, oh, you, oh, you like, get to heaven and like, oh, no, you are infected with sin and the punishment for sin is death. Sorry. God, why didn't you say anything? God says something through the law. He shows us our sin in the law. That we are delusional and we hide the sin in our hearts from even ourselves. And God gives us the law so that we can't deny it anymore. So we'd see, okay, no, I, I am infected with sin. I am going to die. I do need a savior. That's the point of the law. That's actually the, kind of the only point of the law. At this point, I'm saying that's it's the, only, the only point of the law. Now that's good. That's good. You need that. I need that. I need to see the sin that is in me. Because we're all blind to it. And our kids need to see the sin that is in them. They need to see that their hearts are sinful. Unbelievers even need to see the sin that is in their hearts. But we can't then say that that, that actually can release them from their sin. No, it'll show it to us. But there's no power beyond that. In fact, I'm going to say that uh, sin, sin has the power to do the exact opposite. Or, uh, sorry, the law has the power to do the exact opposite. That we expect that, okay, if, if I, it shows me my sin, it should release me from my sin. Actually, it does the exact opposite. Sin instigates, or the law instigates more sin. It enslaves us more to our sin. It kind of digs the, the trench deeper. So look at verse 8. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. All right, we need to, there's gravity here. This is really, really important. 
That actually, as we give law to people, sin twists that law and uses it to enslave us. That the law actually instigates more sin. It doesn't relieve it. And so when... Think of, think of Paul's, Paul's sin nature. All right, so Paul's sin nature is sitting there and saying, I want to sin, I want to sin, I want to sin. How can I sin? Give me sin. I want to rebel against God. And then this commandment comes over and it says, thou shalt not covet. And what does the sin nature say? Oh, I'll do that. That's, that's, that's a great way to sin. I didn't even think about that one. And our sin nature takes the commandment, twists it, and then uses it against us and enslaves us in our sin. That's what the law does. That without the law, Paul, Paul's sin couldn't have expressed itself like that. It wouldn't have. That sin is actually kind of dormant without the law. But once it sees the law, it sees how it can sin against our Lord and it takes advantage of it. And so is it good that Paul was seeing his covetousness? Yeah, it's really good. It's really, he got to see with his heart that like, no, it's not just innocent things that I want. My heart actually lusts and greeds and is idolatrous over this stuff. I'm not innocent. It's not that I'm not getting what I want. It's actually, I'll never get what I want. Because I want, I want to be the Lord and Savior. I want to be the king. It's good that he saw that, but... Ultimately, it just killed him. It didn't help him in that battle. It actually gave his sin an opportunity to express itself. And we see this. Uh, maybe you've seen this. All right, so story time, story time. All right. Uh, when I was in elementary school, the, you'd go on the playground, and the playground, uh, you weren't allowed to run on the playground. Yeah, you weren't allowed to run. Okay, there we go. Yes, Marty. Yes, that's silly. You weren't, but you weren't allowed to run. You had to, like, you had to like walk on the playground. Um, and you weren't allowed to play tag on the playground. Because this kind of makes sense. Like, so you don't like tag and like push someone off the structure and, and they fall. Okay, so makes sense. Okay. Uh, but what did we do every recess and every lunch? We played tag on the playground. <laughs> and you played tag like with one eye, like looking at the supervisor lady and, that, and every single recess and every single lunch, we got kicked off of the playground. That's just how we did it. All right. But we thought of a plan. All right. Our plan was we would tell all of our parents to drop us off early before the supervisor lady got there. And what would we do? We would, we would play tag unhindered. And so we all, we all arrived early. We actually, like, I don't know how a bunch of elementary school kids actually planned this out, but we, we, we accomplished it. And we all got there, and we started playing. And it was the most boring thing. And no one wanted to play tag anymore. And we realized it's not, the fun wasn't in the playing tag. It was looking at the supervisor and, and breaking the rules. That was the fun part of it. And once that was gone, no one wanted to play tag anymore. It was actually really boring. All right, that's, that's the picture of how the law works. That if there is no law, 
then we don't get to like think we're being sneaky. No, it says, yeah, do what you want. You can be an idiot if you want. Like if you fall off the swings, like you're gonna you're gonna hurt yourself, but whatever. The law just enslaves us to our sin. There's no power in it. It actually it actually makes it worse in some sense. And thinking about that, like how sad is it that in our sin we then run to the law? And then the law enslaves us even more, and our sin nature gets gets flared up, and we just get defeated and defeated and defeated. Or we give it to our kids. And we say, don't do this, and then they immediately do it, and then we punish them, and then the cycle just goes on and on and on. Or we give this to unbelievers, and we say, oh, ten commandments. Like, and then they, then they break them, and we're surprised. No, that's what the, the law is actually supposed to do. It shows them their sin, and it actually, actually takes, takes them for captive. Now, some of you might doubt this. And you say, well, no, I've, I've seen good come from the law. That I've seen, like, behavior change because of the law. I'm going to say yes, but if, we're, if they're true to this passage, it's merely external. And it's superficial. And it's, it's hiding the real problem. All right, I'm going to make a reference, and you might not get it. Uh, so, Stranger Things 2. Stranger Things 2. All right. So they're trying to kill it on the surface. Trying to kill it with fire. There's this, like, evil virus-y thing. You can kill it on the surface, and yeah, it looked like it was dead on the surface. And it goes deep. It goes down. It hides. That we can try to kill sin with the law, and what happens is it just... Yeah, it may not express itself, but it just goes deeper into our hearts. It goes into our motives. It goes into our thoughts. Maybe it, it, it waits until it can express itself in the dark. Or it twists itself to become self-righteousness and pride. Arrogance. But if we are just throwing the law at our, at our sin, at our kids' sin, at unbelievers' sin, it's going to find a way to grow. It's going to find a way to take over. We're not actually defeating the problem. Jesus is the only solution. We need to point them to Jesus, to love Jesus, to belong to Jesus, to behold Jesus. All right, so what do we say about the law? Verse 12. So the law is, is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. Yes, that's true. But we are not. We are not holy. We are not holy or righteous or good. And that's where we need Jesus Christ to flow through us and to work in us. We need to focus and, and behold and belong to Jesus Christ. Be free from the law. Stop loving the law. Stop, stop focusing all your attention on the law. Focus on Jesus Christ. You belong to him. If you've died with Jesus, you have died to the law. Let's be free to love Jesus. For freedom we have been set free. Let's pray.
Father, we, we thank you for the law. We thank you that you have shown us our sin. You have shown us our need for a Savior. You have kind of smacked us over the face with the fact that we, we are sinners and that we are dying. And Father, we thank you for that, but we ask that you would protect us from, from seeking anything further in the law. We ask that we would not try to be obedient through it. We ask that you wouldn't deceive us, that we wouldn't be deceiving ourselves, or Satan wouldn't deceive us into thinking that, that we can change by just focusing on the law. Father, we ask that you'd give us much freedom. And Father, would you work in the Holy Spirit? Would you change our hearts that we would love Jesus Christ more? That we would be these devoted spouses to the one who loves us and is devoted to us. That we would see the grace of Jesus Christ that, that dominates our relationship with him and that we would be empowered to do the things that you've called us to. Father, would you give us the fruit that we long for? Would you give us lives that, that glorify you? Would you give us Jesus Christ? And we live through nothing but him. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.